It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, November 21st, 2022. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Sitkins can now pull back the curtain on the city budget thanks to new tools available on the municipality's website. City Administrator John Leach has been hoping to make city finances more transparent since he interviewed for his job several years ago. A new dashboard on the city website allows users to see the numbers almost in real time, or as Leach says, live financial information in your face. However, it only goes so far. You're not going to be able to drill in and and find out, um, you know, how much gas we put in truck number 446 last (laughs) Tuesday. City Finance Director Melissa Haley says the new tools are both a way to keep city finances transparent and a window into her professional world. I live this detail every day, so it's it's nothing kind of new and mm-hmm. exciting for me, but it's, it's a detail that people haven't been able to see before. In addition to the Open Finance tool, a new Balancing Act tool allows users to run a simulation of the budget using real numbers. Leach says this should give residents some insight into the give and take of managing the city's finances and share any advice they may have. Mm-hmm. So they could say, I think that the administrator should have less in his budget and they can click and lower that and they can increase another department um, or they could decrease all of them. I mean, they can really mess around with the numbers there and then submit that simulation to us okay. on their, with their recommendations. You can find a link to these tools on our website, kcaw.org, or under financial transparency at cityofsitka.com. Geologists say a spruce tree may have triggered the destructive urban landslide that destroyed homes in Juneau this September. Local naturalists say there's more to the tree than how it died. KTOO's Claire Strempel has its story. The tree fell in a storm and slid more than 600 feet down the shoulder of Mount Roberts before crashing through a few houses and taking out a power line. It knocked one home off its foundation, flipped a pickup, and triggered an evacuation alert for the neighborhood. The slide was over in a few seconds, but when Juno naturalist Steve Murley looks at the slice of the tree, called a cookie, he sees a much longer story. That's a calendar. Murley and naturalist Richard Karstensen have the cookie in Murley's woodshed, fittingly. The tree's rings tell us it was likely older than the United States. It sprouted and took root on the steep mountainside during the Little Ice Age, sometime in the 1700s. That's back when Octoxit, the Mendenhall Glacier, extended about five more miles, and the Gastineau Channel was choked with icebergs. But the rings show a lot more than the tree's age. Karstensen points to one side of the oblong cookie. The first thing we noticed was, if this is the center, that the rings are way bigger here. And a conifer tree that space. on a steep hill is almost always leaning out, like in this case toward the channel. And when they lean, they over time get thicker rings on the lower side. The rings tell us the tree lived on a steep slope and also tell us a little about its life there. There's a dark spot in the trunk where a rock likely bashed the tree. According to the rings, it took almost three decades to fully heal. It's not the only evidence of abuse either. The rings knit around other dark spots, all on the uphill side of the tree. But Karstensen says old trees like this one can actually thrive on Juno's steep slopes. This is what people call the Barrens Path. This is a known avalanche path behind a Juno neighborhood. 
The little trees are a giveaway, mostly alders and low brush. But Karstensen points out a huge spruce. I call this the brave outlier because it sits out and right in the firing line. And I'm guessing it's at least 300 years old. The spruce is really thick. Karstensen calls it refuge diameter. In other words, there's safety in its girth. There aren't many other trees around it because anything too much smaller gets toppled or buried in snow in regular avalanches. And you walk over it and you go, how did this thing survive? He says there are even more trees like this up high. It turns out big trees can do well on steep hillsides, especially in the rocky soil around Juneau that's coarser than soil in a valley and full of boulders. And that's optimum for rooting strength. Those, those tree roots get to go way down. Karstensen says the deep water table on a very steep hillside also helps because trees will send their roots down further. He points out a hemlock that would be inconspicuous if there wasn't a huge bald eagle nest in its crown. See the nest? It's about five feet thick at the base. Karstensen says it's easily a thousand years old. If we were to core that hemlock, I'm, I'm, I can guarantee you that the outer foot would alone would have 300 rings. It's thrived for a millennium at the bottom of a slide path. The spruce that came down on Gastineau Avenue is a fraction of that age. By Karstensen's measure, it died in its prime. Trees like that one can live to easily 800 years. There's no definitive answer to what took it down. It could have been high winds or saturated soil that gave way. The base of the trunk was rotten, according to city officials. Most of the tree was hauled to the dump, but what's left rests not far from where it sprouted, between the now-mangled houses on Gastineau Avenue. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Claire Strimple. A long-planned cable connecting Metlakatla and Ketchikan took a big step towards becoming a reality on Thursday. The Biden administration announced a $10.4 million grant to fund a two-mile undersea cable carrying power and broadband internet service to Alaska's only native reservation. As KRBD's Reagan Miller reports, local leaders say they hope it'll make Metlakatla a better place to live and work. The $10.4 million grant comes from the Department of Commerce's National Telecommunications and Information Administration and is funded by last year's bipartisan infrastructure law. Kiolani Booth is the chairman of Metlakatla Power and Light, the local utility on Annette Island. He says the cable will serve a dual purpose. It's a cable that has both the broadband and the electricity. And then that'll be that'll bring the uh, broadband into town and all the households and get the first parts of the infrastructure for setting it up for everyone and uh, and getting it so our utility can can run the uh, run the broadband to the homes. The federal agency says the connection will benefit almost 600 homes and businesses in Metlakatla. Once broadband service comes online, he says he expects a big boost for the local schools and the clinic, as well as students who are learning remotely. And he says it'll also be a boon for local businesses. What we're hoping, to, hoping for is uh, to start creating some jobs at home. The new broadband connection will enable speeds of up to 1 gigabit per second for both uploads and downloads, according to a grant announcement. That's 40 times faster than the top speed currently available in Metlakatla, and on par with what's available in cities like Ketchikan, Anchorage, and Seattle. Booth says about 1,500 tribal members live in Metlakatla, and he says he hopes it'll encourage others who have left the community to return. It's, it's our first step towards, one of our first steps towards, you know, making lives, uh, you know, affordable and livable for our, our residents here in Metlakatla so they can stay here. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's very expensive to be where we are, he also thinks it'll strengthen the ties between Metlakatla and Ketchikan, 
thanks to the power sales agreement recently greenlit by the Ketchikan City Council. That'll give us the ability to, um, you know, uh, with through our sales agreement to purchase power, uh, hyd- or, you know, any hydropower or whatever they have, and then uh, the same from our end and just uh, start being a good partner. You know, it's uh, one thing about being Alaskan is that uh, you're always there for each other. Metlakatla's mayor, Albert Smith, says that the agreement is huge. That just uh, that just happened and, and got signed. So for this news to come out shortly after that was completed, um, it's, it's just a really big deal for Metlakatla. The cable is expected to be installed sometime in the next two to three years, though Booth cautions that the supply chain issues and other roadblocks could delay the project. Faster speeds would be available shortly after the cable is completed. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. A fuel tank on Skagway's waterfront failed on Thursday night, releasing hundreds of gallons of number one and number two fuel into a containment area on the Ore Peninsula. Representatives of Petro Marine said the containment measures worked as planned, and no fuel escaped except for a fine mist that was blown south in heavy winds. KHNS's Mike Swayze reports. A little before 9 p.m. on Thursday night, Skagway police officer Rick Ackerman was on his normal patrol route when he noticed an unusual mist as he drove past Petro Marine Services' tank farm. He smelled fuel and immediately contacted plant manager Tim Cochran. Cochran, along with several employees, responded immediately. He said the containment measures worked as designed. There's no danger to health or people. It's all contained. We have that impervious uh, liner. It held everything that came out of the tank, and most all of it is back into the tanks. The containment area has walls that are several feet high around the tank farm and is coated with an ultra-thick epoxy liner that fuel will not seep through. It is designed to contain 110% of the contents of the largest tank on the premises. Skagway police noticed a pool of fuel within that containment area that appeared to be a couple of feet deep at its deepest point on Thursday night. By Friday afternoon, most of that fuel had been secured in another tank. With winds gusting up to nearly 30 miles an hour on Thursday, it's difficult to determine how far the fuel mist traveled. The smell of diesel fuel near the tank farm was thick as of Friday afternoon. The leak was likely caused by a valve that may have malfunctioned, though company representatives are still investigating the cause. Cochran says the fuel is probably still usable. The Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation says soil from the surrounding area will be tested and remediated if necessary. Petro Marine Services was closed on Friday, but plans to reopen by Saturday for regular business. Reporting from Skagway, I'm Mike Swayze. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.